TechCrunch is back in San Francisco for our flagship event, Disrupt SF. We've got a fantastic lineup of startup and tech leaders on tap, like Snapchat's Evan Spiegel, Postmates' Bastian Lehman, Salesforce's Mark Benioff. Plus, you can experience an entire track of how-to content to help you grow your business. Hear from experts at Bumble, Fitbit, Uber, Goldman Sachs, YC, and more. Also, we'll be recording a very special episode of Equity right in the middle of Startup Alley. Get a ticket now and then come enjoy all the goodness. And if you act now, you can save another 20% by using promo code equity. Just visit techcrunch.com slash disrupt SF. Hello and welcome back to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Kate Clark and I'm back with my co-host Alex Wilhelm the editor-in-chief of Crunchbase News. This is an equity shot. Hi, Alex. Thanks for joining me this morning. Yeah, it's a, it's another kind of morning equity episode. I feel like these are becoming a thing. Um, and we are really, we've had one of the craziest 48 hours of news. This has been the craziest news week I've ever observed as a journalist. It reminds me in terms of like, like uh, level of high impact stories, like the Trump inauguration yeah. week like the 2016 election, um, like some war days. It's been insane. So let's go through a couple of things that stood out to us. There's more out there, but uh, kicking things off, the, the Jewel CEO, Doubt. Yep, an Al- Altria, Atria? Al- I think it's Altria. Altria um, executive stepped in. Yeah, uh, Altria, of course, has spent, oh gosh, was it $12.8 billion for a 35% mm-hmm. stake in Jewel back when it was blowing up, and now it's literally blowing up, so there's irony to that. Uh, if you are watching the world of politics here in the United States, if you're uh, elsewhere around the world, uh, you're lucky. Uh, here at <laughs> home, uh, our, our current premier, our current president, um, released a, a memo of a call uh, that he thought would exonerate him, and no one agrees with that. That's big news. And uh, the eBay CEO is also out. What's going on there? Yeah, so um, the eBay CEO has resigned amid, I think, negotiations. Um, the company's selling some of their assets, so... Things aren't looking good there. Um, lots of shakeups, but of course, we are here to talk about the one that impacts the tech industry the most. Yeah, so we're here, we're here to talk about WeWork. Um, Indeed. That, there's, there's a lot to go over. Um, shall we just kind of start with the headline here, which is that after much uh, drama, the, the, the former CEO of WeWork, Adam Newman, has stepped down this week. Right. Uh, faster, I think, than, than I anticipated for sure. Definitely I, faster than I anticipated. I was using the Travis Kalanick Uber situation as an example. That took about six months of squabbling, um, arguing, board drama before he actually stepped down. So this week, Adam Newman, a co-founder of WeWork, this, the founding CEO, he did, he did step down after you know weeks of controversy surrounding their highly, highly anticipated billion-dollar IPO. And so if you trace this back, you can start to see the rumblings of the issues back when we first got WeWork's 2018 financials. I think that was, that was to me the moment of like, hmm, they lost more money in 18 than they brought in in revenue, which means they were spending more than $2 for every dollar revenue they brought in. Super risky place to be. And the company's valuation made little sense stacked against that revenue figure. Right. And then putting a period there, we also had the Adam Newman $700 million cash out and loan situation that the journal broke uh, sometime in the past. That was also um, an, uh, a black eye, mm-hmm. I think, to the company. And then I think I would jump ahead to the S1 itself, which we discussed yes. on this show ad nauseum because it was a magical document. Uh, and then all the issues that were inside of there. And that brought out Kate new stuff like the, um, the Wii trademark uh, sale, essentially, and mm-hmm. a lot of other great highlights. Um, but then there was more to come. And then there was a story in the journal we talked about, was it last week? We did. 
Yeah, Elliot Brown had written a story, I think we talked about it last week, basically a profile and we were highlighting some of Adam Newman's more eccentric behaviors like um, bringing marijuana on airplanes, saying he wanted to run to be prime minister of Israel and saying he wanted to live forever. And be the world's first trillionaire and yes. the president of the world. A president it? of the world sounds about right. Yeah. So, yeah. So you highlighted, I think, the key events that sort of set the stage for Adam Newman actually setting down, uh, stepping down, which is release of the financials. Adam Newman selling $700 million worth of equity in WeWork. So he's already a very rich man. Them dropping their S1, which allowed us this view under the hood of the company and sort of seeing what was really happening. And the fact that Adam Newman did see himself as mission critical to the business, which understandable as a CEO, but never before have we seen a CEO mention their name in an S1. I said recently, I said 47 times, but I actually double checked. It was like 162 times that he mentioned his name. Inside the S1 itself. Inside the S1. Uh, and we, we actually don't count those by hand. You can just command F inside yeah. the S1. So <laughs> oh, I went through and counted by hand. I got a Sharpie Just to be out. sure. Yeah. No, we definitely command F. Actually, that's the, one of the best ways. Here's a little pro tip. If you're looking at an S1 and you're looking for dirt, just start searching for words that are not good <laughs> and see how long it takes for one of them to pop no, it, up. It does work. It does. But so, so going back, so WeWork, as we've said multiple times on the show, was valued at $47 billion when they filed to go public. That was because of SoftBank money. SoftBank had invested quite a lot of money in WeWork drove up their valuation by like leaps and bounds. Right. Exactly. That, leaps okay. and bounds. Yes. The, the valuation went to 47 billion up right. from the twenties. Uh, and the reason why we should have been more suspicious at the time is that we work effectively double its valuation by selling a minute slice of stock to SoftBank, SoftBank who had already been an investor for sure. But I mean, if I bought, I don't know, 30 of your company at a $20 billion price. And then a little bit later I buy, you know, 2% of it at a, 2x price i have repriced my own yes stock i guess precisely and so that's that, that we should have been more like hmm about that than we were yeah I, I agree looking back i don't really understand how you anyone took that as seriously as we did i mean most people have mocked we work for years this is not a new trend but that has really been because of adam newman so uh i think back when um you know we work is valued about 20 billion because of softbank uh they said something along the lines of well the valuation is not really about our assets. It's not really about our revenue multiples. It's about the spirituality of the, the company, and the, energy, Kate. the energy of the company. And, you know, Adam Newman's wife, Rebecca Newman, has been known to, I don't know, not bring on certain employees. Yeah, fire people because of their energy. So these are these are a pair of, of people who are who are very clearly not cut out for Wall Street's particular views of how a CEO should operate and how a CEO should behave. And yeah, so I mean, it's I think everyone did expect a shakeup of some kind to happen. I I didn't really expect it to happen before the IPO because I think we all thought the IPO was going to be like this month. So a couple of weeks ago, WeWork did delay the IPO because there was so much concern around their valuation. Essentially, public market investors were so skeptical of the valuation that they were not willing to invest pre-IPO. They were sort of leaving WeWork in the lurch. And then I, according to reports, they basically said, unless you change your CEO, we're not going to support this IPO. Yeah. And before we get into some context here, we, we pulled some board names and we want to talk about Benchmark and a little bit about super voting shares. Yeah. Um, the thing is, Adam had set up the business in such a way, according to the first S1, that he had set up effectively generational control of the firm. Um, if he died, there were rules about how the successor could be selected and he was going to get 20 votes a share, not just the 10 he had before, because we work as class A, class B, and class C shares. Um, I just want to say hubris before we move on. Uh, th that document was an insane testament to a self adoration. And, uh, I think, yes. it, I think it goes to show that, um, what's the old joke, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And there's a reason why 
you know, most modern, efficient, and reasonable corporate governance has checks and balances, like how the U.S. government set up, theoretically. And those are good things. Having one God figure in the center of a firm works really well if they happen to be perfectly suited for that. But if they're not. Yeah. I want to say something about boards, but I also want to say something about super voting shares. So what do we want to talk about first? Um, let's riff through the board, hit benchmark, grab super voting shares on the way out. Okay. So boards are very complicated. I think I'm not, I'm not an expert on boards, but just from you know, my own research, the thing is startup boards are dramatically different than public company boards. So uh, I guess, um, you know, for people who are confused about kind of why Adam stepped down, I mean, he's up against seven people, not including himself on this board, who are sort of helping um, navigate the path forward for WeWork as it struggles to figure out how the hell to actually go public. And startup boards are often made up of VC insiders, venture capitalists who invested in the company. In case of Uber, that's why we saw Benchmark. And again, we see Benchmark on WeWork board for the same reason, because they were an investor. And if you invest enough money, you often get a board seat. So Often if you lead the round yes. and therefore you determine the price, the pre-money price of the next uh, uh, venture round, that secures you a board seat as long as the round is large enough to warrant it. So yes. there's some nuance there, but that's generally. There is. Although I think one of the things I learned from Mike Isaac's Uber book, which I keep bringing up, sorry, but um, was that uh, once Uber became such an exclusive, hard to, hard to access company in terms of their cap table, they were just, they were allowing people to invest, but they wouldn't even give them like a pitch deck and they wouldn't give them a board seat. They were just like, you can give us $300 million or you can get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So on the whole idea of like, give us money or fuck off, like yeah. um, Domo, one of my favorite companies of all time, because it's that's one that was so bad, uh, was also not sharing financials with investors, I heard. Uh, and right. people were putting money into it without seeing the numbers, which is how its valuation got so far away from its revenue. And also another company that, that didn't like to show hard numbers was Theranos. So there's a theme here, which is if they don't share numbers, run away. And before we start talking a little bit more about the board members, I'll just say that Oftentimes with these private, with these startup boards, their objective is to protect their stock, to protect their future equity, to protect their returns. And they're not as interested in the fate of perhaps the founder. Um, of course, that depends on the person, depends on the situation. But I think just, you know, uh, startup boards do, uh, do act and feel, I'm sure, much different than they will, um, you know, years down the line when the company is public. I mean, a lot of VCs will step off of boards once companies go yes. public. It's no longer really their bag. They don't really know exactly. what to do. And their, their entire uh, professional expertise is around high growth, early stage companies. And that, that is not usually public firms. There are some examples of high growth public companies, but most of the time you step off. So that's the context. Now, who's on the board? Yeah. Um, so do you want to just kind of quickly run through? I think we should grab a couple of these uh, okay. to give people a taste for who's out there. So let's start with Ronald Fisher. So Ronald Fisher is the vice chairman of the SoftBank Group. He was a founder of SoftBank Capital, which is the venture arm of SoftBank. He joined SoftBank's board last year. Um, he's overseeing 114 million shares, Class A shares, which each carry one vote. And of course, he is very loyal to SoftBank, so we can assume that he was on the side of ousting Adam Newman. Right, because SoftBank wants to, again, protect its investment, make sure they don't have an enormous write-down, which would limit the upside of Vision Fund 1, maybe harm Vision Fund 2, etc. Uh, moving on, we have Louis Frankfurt, uh, Frankfort, sorry. We were a board member for about five years, uh, chairman of a fitness studio called Flywheel Sports, which, if I recall, Kate, and correct me, is a um, spinning class a similar to... Um, Soul Cycle. Soul Cycle, but more compared, there's like a, a board you can like track the performance I, on. All I know is it's vaguely similar to Soul Cycle. All right. I've had friends explain to me the difference between the two. I've only done Soul Cycle, but you know, whatever, I should branch out. Um, and according to, to BI, uh, we work once loaned this man $6.3 million, which he then repaid with interest earlier this year. I think by clearing off the loan from the books before the IPO to make sure it doesn't get tricky. Um, but again, another example of like the company being financially involved in weird ways with insiders. 
and uh, controls 2 million shares, of which three quarters of a million are Class B that carry 10 votes apiece even after the uh, governance changes. So, and, and just, and our, our take is that probably was on uh, the side of the CEO, just given kind of the, the structure of this person's positions at the firm. Um, I'll jump down to Frances Fry. I think that's an interesting one to note um, as we're, you know, just hitting on a few. Um, she joined, what, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Yep. Um, first female board member, first outside independent board member to be added to WeWork's board, um, which is pretty essential. I think going into an IPO, people were like, you need a, both of those things. So she's a um, Harvard Business School professor. And I think most notably, she was also on the Uber board amid their, um, I don't know, just months, 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 months of absolute utter chaos. Uh, can I tell you a little joke about uh, Harvard? Sure. Before we move on. So last night, um, well, Kate and I were at a dinner last night. Doesn't really matter, but I was sitting next to an IVP partner and uh, we were talking through his career and he, then he said, I went to business school and I just said, Stanford or Harvard? And he said, Stanford. And we moved on. And I thought it was the funniest thing of all time. I don't think he got the joke, but- I don't think he got the joke I either. Was, I was rolling in my shoes. I appreciate shoes. that though. Uh, and then I want to talk about one more uh, board member, Kate, which is um, Bruce Dunleavy, who you found out is a co-founder at Benchmark. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, Benchmark has, according to our notes, uh, 32.6 million Class A shares, which is an enormous amount of equity. If we work went out for $10 a share, picking a random number, that would be $326 million. If it goes out for 50 bucks a share, it's $1.5 billion. A lot of money. Um, Benchmark, of course, as mentioned before, famous for helping oust the uh, then-CEO of Uber, Travis Kalanick. Kalanick was a figure inside of Uber that people thought was uh, super important to the firm's operations, and it's something that Adam Newman tried to portray himself as in the S1. And so here we have Benchmark yet again, kind of in this. Right. Benchmark is yet again in the thick of it. So Benchmark is an early investor is why they own so much of WeWork and is why they owned a lot of Uber. I think, is it, were they Series A in both cases or? I can, I can fact okay. check that. Alex they were early can fact check that while I keep talking. So now what's interesting about this is like we're seeing Benchmark, or I guess we're assuming Benchmark is very concerned now about their, the optics of the fact that they've been involved in two of the most high profile CEO, found, uh, CEO founder company controversies of the decade, the last decade, um, perhaps in start of history ever. And, you know, they're front and center both times, though we're not hearing much about Bruce and his role, presumably because he's maybe not uh, trying to have too much of a hot take, trying to somewhat support Adam and also go the direction of well, how can I protect my stock the most and how can I kind of confirm that Benchmark's equity will be worth something more like a billion dollars versus, you know, the lower end of that spectrum. Going back to Kate's point, um, Benchmark did lead the uh, then WeWork Series A in April of 2012, and Benchmark also led the Uber Series A in 2011. So pretty magnificent on Benchmark's part to have been leading those early deals of two of, you know, the most disruptive companies ever, though they certainly aren't two of the most profitable companies ever. No, they're two of the least profitable companies ever. And also here we have Benchmark, an early investor in two firms that kind of ended up with runaway CEOs. So the way that I read this is Benchmark gave them so much leash to be founders that they eventually screwed up and hung themselves. That's not Benchmark's... Ooh, that's a, that is a dark... We'll see, we'll see if that makes it onto the show. We, the, the producer is visibly wincing. Um, I thought that was an okay... I thought that was a common... All right, Sorry. so the answer is no. But as, as I was trying to say, you can't say Benchmark isn't founder friendly when they allowed Travis and Adam to get to where they got. So my view is this is actually should be read the other way around. Right. And I can see your note. This, does Bill Gurley even really give a fucking do these board members? Like how concerned are ben is Benchmark really? I mean, at the end of the day, they did get stakes. And like I just said, two of the most high profile, important companies of this generation of tech startups. They're in a good place. They are the they've got to be the most respected venture capital firm. Right. Would you say? Uh, I. 
if if you said that like gun to my head, I had to pick a firm to like take money from, and this won't happen because I'm not raising money because I'm just a dude. But like, I, I benchmark would be top three at least. Yeah, and I think I think overall, just um, their reputation in the valley is pretty impeccable. Um, so I guess bottom line there is they're going to be just fine. Yeah, real talk. Look, if you're a, if you're a founder and Bill Gurley is like, would you like some money? And you're like, no, because you helped kick out Adam Newman. Well, then that's the dumbest entrepreneur of all time. So also, I, I'm curious how tall Bruce Dunleavy is because Adam Newman is six five and Bill Gurley is like six eight. So just curious. Maybe it's, it's like a bunch the, of tall the, dudes. The tall man club. Yeah. Uh, dang, they're going to hire Chris, our producer. It's terrible. All right. Well, let's move on from the board. That's that's the kind of the, the lay of the land. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about um, super voting shares really quickly before we talk about the new CEOs. Okay. okay so you, this was your topic. Yeah. Well, I just want to talk about it. I think it's because I have so many questions around super voting shares. Um, the concept is pretty straightforward. It's just the fact that there are some board members who get double, triple the amount of voting power for the same number of shares. Right. So like um, in the case of Adam Newman, he was, did he actually reach 20 to one? No, I think that was going to be, uh, if, uh, I think it's a facet of the original IPO documents that the class C shares, of which Adam Newman owned a bunch, were going to have 20 votes a share. It would have been 10 for the class B shares and one for the class A shares. So it was going to be 20 to one. A couple of weeks ago, they said, hey, no, it's going to be 10 to one. So we, we got there. Yesterday, we have now moved um, Adam Newman down to three to one, which is a much more reasonable ratio. Uh, it's it's very common for founders, founder CEOs to have super voting shares. It kind of goes along with dual class stock structure, which I mean, yeah, obviously, which we've talked about on the show a lot because I think it's sort of uh, controversial amongst many in the Valley. And it's sort of, I guess to me, you know, I don't cover public companies, so I don't really deal with this much at all because it doesn't come up a ton when you're covering tech startups. But I'm intrigued by, by it. And I, I wonder why it's become such a norm and why it's so accepted that people like Adam Newman can have 20 to 1 you know, super voting shares, why that could be possibly acceptable. I can tell you why I think, or I hear, here's how I think about that. At least, okay. uh, in the current era, there's tons of money and that has flipped the balance between founders who want money and VCs who want to give them money. So in hot companies, they have more money on offer than they can use. And that means they get to kind of let people negotiate on terms because dollar amount isn't the issue. So once you begin negotiating on terms, you can start getting things for yourself. The hotter your company is, the more stuff you can get. You can get super voting stock. You can say, yeah, I want voting control of the company. And if everyone's dying to get into your round because they want to make money off of your success, which is how this kind of works, they will give you those things. When there's less money, like in the early 90s, you have the opposite of that. You have VCs demanding high ratchets and all sorts of weird arcane financial things that make the terms in their favor. And in those cases, founders often got fired. Professional CEOs were hired. There's much less tolerance for shenanigans. And so right now, this is all based on zero interest rate policy, an ocean of board capital around the world searching for yield, and the, the rise in the total kind of like AUM or asset center management in the VC world. So you would say this is sort of another um, result of the extremely frothy market that we're in right now, and the, which I guess has resulted in many things, including these extremely overvalued companies like Uber, WeWork, I mean, Lyft, the list goes on and on. Well, Jewel. I mean, Uber's off like, you know, 30% for its IPO price or whatever. Like WeWork went from like 47 to 10, which yeah. is one of the most, uh, actually, I, that is probably the biggest, fastest drop ever of a pre-IPO company in terms of value. I well, think. when your valuation is based off energy and spirituality. It's true. You know, you put the wrong it crystal might be a little unreliable. on your essential oils and then all your valuation goes away. It's terrible. Um, okay. So where are we now? Should we talk about... 
the new CEOs, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So there's two. Uh, spoiler, there's two. Co-CEOs. Co-CEOs, which means no one's in charge. Um, I'll take the first one, Kate. Uh, okay. Sebastian Gunningham, uh, who joined WeWork back in March of 18. Uh, he's a veteran of Oracle and Apple and did a stint at Amazon. So this is a person with very large company, kind of like public company pedigree, which is what you probably want if you're going to be running a public company. And um, according to Forbes, he was hired to be kind of a, quote, jack of all trades. And so to me... That's the kind of person you bring in when the CEO is busy doing evangelism, which is perfectly fine. And you want to have someone kind of in the COO-ish role who might be able to um, make sure all the trains were on time or whatever the analogy is. And then next we have Artie Minson. So he joined WeWork in 2015. He was formerly the co-president. They love Cole Rolls at WeWork. And the chief financial officer. So uh, previously, the Financial Times called him WeWork's numbers man. So probably not a bad person to have in the, C, you know, top the C-suite. He previously worked under Tim Armstrong at AOL and is kind of said to be the polar opposite to Adam Newman. So sort of like a more professional, well-versed veteran um, who can actually, and I mean, I'm, I'm guessing Sebastian Gunningham is in the same boat. These are two men who, uh, they're mature. They have the right image and they can get Wall Street investors to trust in WeWork maybe ahead of this IPO that's supposed to happen by the end of the year. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where we're, we're now going to leave the territory of like facts and things that we can be pretty confident in and talk a little bit about what might be coming next. And this is where we get speculative. And given that Kate and I have never been wrong on the show, uh, I feel fully confident about this. But new CEOs... There were rumors yesterday, reported rumors, not just rumors that we hear out you know, on the street, about layoffs. And I want to kind of throw out some guesses about what's going to happen. So I'm going to presume there's going to be rounds of layoffs. The company's going to stop doing things that are non-core, like we grow, we live. It'll sell off assets that it acquired along the way that it doesn't need. There's going to be a decline in its growth rate, a focus on closing uh, locations that are not financially lucrative, and it's going to be a doubling down on the areas that do work in an attempt to, to lower the cost profile, make sure the revenue is revenue that actually generates positive gross margin and see how they can get the numbers moved forward and then issue for like a Q2 2020 IPO. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't really anticipate their IPO happening this year. Um, you know, reports did say they were, they were planning on having an IPO by the end of the year. Here's the thing, though. WeWork needs money. So I do think the IPO will happen soon. I mean, I, I don't want to even give a guess because I just don't know when they will be able to sort of pull it together, but they need money. So I think they're going to significantly downsize their IPO expectations, which they've already done. But I think even more to the bare minimum, basically just like we need the money. Here's what we're, here's what we're actually worth. But I think my, my, um, my predictions are just that we're going to see a lot of similarities to sort of how Dara took over Uber and what he did there. Um, but I think we're going to see it a lot faster of a clip. So I think we'll see all this cost cutting. We'll see layoffs like we've seen at Uber recently. We'll see WeWork kind of, uh, like you just said, get rid of some of their less, value, less valuable assets. And I think it's it's interesting to see these companies like Uber and WeWork who had these really ambitious CEOs who just like worked so fast and grew the company so quickly and probably were the only ones, were amongst a small group of people who, who would be able to do that. But then they have these other people come in and are just kind of like, all right, well, you did all this great work, but let me just cut the shit and like we'll just we'll streamline, streamline, streamline operations and we'll get this business and we'll get let it reach its full potential. I mean, I don't know how much we talk about, you know, Greek or Roman mythology on the show, but Icarus is a story that we all learned growing up. And it, it, it's a moral lesson and one that I don't particularly like, but I think in this case it does have some, uh, you know, metaphorical use. And these, these companies never managed to grow out of 
their adolescence, uh, their corporate adolescence into, into kind of the mature people you needed to be uh, as a, as a public company. Yeah. And I, I'm surprised that uh, stewards of capital let certain companies get to certain points in their, in their IPO plan or IPO kind of cadence pre or post an S1 uh, that were so unprepared for it. And what does this mean moving forward? Like I, I, part of me thinks are, you know, our founders going to be more nervous and skeptical of the role of some of these board members. Like, I mean, it's funny because even in the case of Travis Kalanick, you know, early on, he was very cold to ice, uh, cold toward VCs. He did not like them. And that's because he'd been screwed over by his last company. Um, you know, somebody had taken some huge stake in his company and I think just ripped it out from underneath him or something. I, I don't know. But he didn't like VCs, so he was very careful. And he ultimately did get screwed. Yeah. Well, no matter how careful he was. He still made a lot of money, though. Like, tr- I, of I'm course, not, of yeah, course. Travis is not, you know, I mean, Adam Newman is. Adam Newman is, ne- is nearly a billionaire already. Well, here's the fun thing. If you borrow money against the value of your stock and then your stock goes to hell, what does that I mean think for your loans? I, we should, for another day, I would love to talk more about company CEOs who do sell shares of their stock early. Because I do think, and I, I know this is a very debatable, but I do think if you sell you sell your, your stock of your company kind of early on, it, I don't, it's hard for me to believe that you are along on your own vision. So what's really funny is you're saying that now almost as a controversial opinion, but that was stock, like, kind of bog standard industry knowledge, wisdom inside of venture capital until like 20 minutes ago. Well, yeah, as of like 20 minutes ago, people are like, well, I've, I've had VCs say to me like, well, if he, had the, if he or she, in the case that I'm thinking of, it's a, it's a he, if you had the opportunity to do that, why not? Because it shows it disaligned incentives to your employees, Precisely. to future investors. I mean, like literally all the negative signaling stuff that we were told for years was so important. Right. So I'd, l- I'd love to talk more about that because yeah. I've, I've, I've thought about it a lot and I just don't understand. Um, I mean, of course I understand why the CEO does it because they want money to buy like 10 houses. I mean, <laughs> 10? I, mean, I, I think Adam Newman has a bunch of houses. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I, his ego is so modest. Um, <laughs> here, here's what I, my takeaway from all of this. A couple things. One is... Uh, we have seen the height of excess when it comes to giving founders too much control, um, poor financial controls, and, and, and this grow-at-all-cost strategy and the idea that growth is all that matters. Like All those kind of come to a single head uh, in the WeWork story and to some degree in Uber as well. And we've seen how the market's repriced that company too. So probably we're around a market top and probably we're going to look back at this moment in time and be like, well, of course they had to fire him. What else are we going to do? Right. It still feels surprising today because last week he was the heart and soul of the company. But right. He was the guy I mentioned 160 times in the S1. He was the guy who, without WeWork, would not be able to hold themselves together at all. There's that risk factor in the S1. I'm like, you know, with Adam is an exactly. important operational and visionary. But I guess not. I guess he's now he's the non-executive chairman, which means he's essentially now the guy who takes notes. But here's what I really want to know. I want to know what Gwyneth Paltrow... Rebecca, Rebecca Newman's cousin is thinking about this whole thing. Um, you know, I've never once thought to myself, what is Gwyneth Paltrow thinking? I genuinely was thinking that today. I was thinking, d- do you think she's close with Rebecca Newman and how involved in the situation is she? I don't. <laughs> I, I, Chris is- <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I have an opinion about Gwyneth Paltrow. All right, I, I just wanted one, to share my, my final thoughts. I have one fact about Gwyneth Paltrow that I can share. She was Pepper in Iron Man. Hey, I saw her at a conference this year. Word? She has amazing hair. Well, all right. On that note, this has been an equity <laughs> shot. We will be back to uh, Friday morning with another episode, uh, a normal one, uh, not, yes. a, not a WeWork-focused one. We got all the WeWork out of our system. So if you don't like whatever the hell WeWork is, you're good. We'll Thanks be back for listening. Soon. 
You can find us on Twitter at Alex and at Kate Clark Tweets, or you can email us at equitypod at techcrunch.com. And we are now on YouTube. Watch the full episode on the TechCrunch YouTube page. And if you really want to support the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes. And you can also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and all the other places where you get podcasts. And a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week. Uh, a flunky is like a, a low-level functionary, like someone's um, a liveried manservant or footman, a person who performs relatively menial tasks for someone else, especially obsequiously. That was close. Remember the uh, the popular flunky from Detroit? They call him the funky flunky. <laughs>